0: Hey all, welcome to the first news wrap-up of 2019. Uh, We're running this one for free on the regular podcast, Uh, but if you want this news every week, you can head over over to patreon.com backslash knock underscore LA. Uh, That's K-N-O-C-K underscore LA and become a patron. On top of the news, we've also got some brand new series coming at you this new year. I don't want to give too much away, but we're going to be exploring sustainability, LA city budgets in depth and other overlooked issues. As we expand our coverage, we've had an incredibly successful year in 2018 operating with no budget. But after a year of fundraising and growing, we've got so much more to talk about and so much more that we can do. We want you to become a part of this effort. You can't run a car without gas, and we can't sustain our work without your generous donations. Every week, Ground Game and Power are out on the streets, in the offices of Electeds, out on picket lines, and elbow deep in research. We do this work because we love it, and we hope that this comes across. 2019 is already off and running, and you can help us stay ahead of the curve. If you want to contribute directly to Ground Game, you can head over to our Crowd Pack. the link's going to be in the description, and become a sustained- donor, don't worry, we'll still hook you up with the link to the Patreon content, and we welcome you all to this brand new year.
1: Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about the LAUSD teachers going on strike next week, the coroner's office removing yet another dead gay man from a local political donor's home, The upcoming California Democratic Party's Assembly delegate elections, Google's move into the West Side, and a reform package that was recently passed regarding public monies and campaign financing of local elections. How's it going, Bushido?
0: It's going pretty well. I I found my new favorite inspirational quote ever this morning. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's uh, Trump's, the buck stops with everyone. (laughs) And that's my new life motto. Anytime I do something wrong, or it's, I'm responsible or accountable for anyone, it no, it's everyone's <laughs> fault. It's just tragedy of the commons as existence. Yeah, for everything doesn't it's, matter what it is. It's just beautiful. So let's talk about more local messes. Sure. Uh, UTLA, uh, second largest teachers union in the nation, and they are not very happy with LAUSD.
1: No, they've been negotiating for a long time here, may, many many months of negotiations, and uh, they've been attempting to finalize a contract working out with, but working without any kind of a settled contract for the last five years. So the main points of the contention that are going on here are raises in teacher salaries, obviously, mm-hmm. maintaining health care benefits for newer hires, decreasing class sizes, increasing the number of nurses and mental health counselors in each school, decreasing the district's reliance on armed LAPD presence on campus, and uh, properly maintaining school buildings, cutting the amount of money that is the district is sending to privately run charter schools, and a couple of other issues.
0: Yeah, no, it's all pretty messy, and it's kind of like... Strange when you look at how big and advanced LAUSD is and how bad, uh, A, conditions are for new hires and B, how bad the, the facilities are at a lot of these schools, oh, yeah. like it's really quite shocking.
1: No, they're they're quite dilapidated considering that we are in the second largest school district in the country.
0: And we have 58 billionaires here. We can afford nice stuff.
1: We, we, we should be able to afford nice stuff. We simply choose not to. <laughs> Austin Butner, the superintendent of the Los Angeles Unified School District, has argued that district the district simply cannot afford to meet all of these demands, despite having having more than $2 billion in reserve holdings. LAUSD officials are claiming that that money has already been spent when future spending is taken into account, and that decreases in enrollment mean that there is less money coming into the district year over year. Buechner has also floated a plan that he doesn't want anyone to know about Mm -hmm. to break the LAUSD up into more than 30 smaller networks with more focus on local control, a move that critics believe is code for more charter involvement and is basically a way for the district to offload financial responsibility. On January 10th, uh, a federal judge gave the teachers the go-ahead to begin their strike on Monday, January 14th. Originally, the strike was scheduled to actually start on the 10th, but Uh, a number of legal challenges were brought up by the LAUSD uh, to basically try to force the UTLA folks to stay at the negotiating table.
0: Yeah, this is a common tactic that LAUSD has been using because originally the the strike was slated to start in October uh, and then it got pushed back and they used a lot of like wonky legal maneuvering to make sure that UTLA couldn't just walk out when they wanted to. So originally they're trying to push him back to around the holiday time, thinking that that would blunt the effect of any strike and then UTLA was like, well, we'll just wait for the new semester to start.
1: Yeah, they did. So there was uh, there was an event on Thursday morning at Venice High where they had some pre-strike action going on involving parents, teachers, students, and community members.
0: Yeah, I was out there, actually. I made the uh, front page, the digital front page of the LA Times. Hey, uh, me and uh, Anastasia Foster, who is the president of the Rent Control Board in Santa Monica. They're nice. uh, holding some signs, doing solidarity. Uh, Marcy Wanagrad, who's a longtime activist, political candidate, and former English Teacher at Venice High organized the event, brought out a bunch of press. I got to meet Sarah Jaffe from The Nation. Hey, that was pretty dope. Uh, And it was a really good event. It was a good kickoff. Uh, A couple of actual UTLA uh, folks showed up to like speak and and get people excited. Students were all very supportive of it. They they haven't seen anything like this. No, and there were some really old head teachers there who were like, "I was on the picket lines 30 years ago. (laughs) They didn't learn their lesson then. They're gonna learn it now." So I don't think the powers that be understand how not necessarily angry, but like motivated people are. And this is really going to change the face of, of, LA politics coming into 2020. This is going to upset a lot of apple carts uh, and they're going to be shocked by how much support the teachers and the students have because no one in the city and I know a lot of like LAUSD alums, no one looks at that school district and thinks that it's doing the best job it can do.
1: Absolutely. No, this everything that I've been hearing about the strike as it's it's getting ready to to happen, there is just a massive outpouring of support coming out from the parents and from the students. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's going to be difficult for some folks because Basically, our schools are the childcare system that we have basically forced people to be reliant upon, Mm -hmm. but they still want to see the investment being made into that infrastructure that they want to see the teachers being paid. They want to see the schools being maintained. They want to see materials being brought in and classifies as, you know, kept manageable. So everybody wants to see this change happen unless you're a charter school advocate.
0: Yeah, and it's, you know, remember that uh, uh, Tony Thurman beat Marshall Tuck, so the superintendent of public education at the state level is not on board with charters and really wants to invest in public education. And I think we're beginning to see the trend reverse. The privatization trend has shown that it can't pick up the slack, that it's not cheaper, that it's not more effective, that it does leave students deprived of a good education. So hopefully we're moving towards more investment in public education and at least the teachers that are out there, they're really ready to strike. And even friends of ours that we organize with who are not allowed to strike, Mm -hmm. even though they're teachers, they're not unionized because Mm of the various conditions that schools are set up in, they would be on those picket lines, but they'll get fired and don't know how they'll feed themselves if they cross the picket lines. Everyone wants to see this strike happening right now.
1: Wow, Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Jackie Goldberg is also supporting uh, UTLA in this, I believe. Yep. Uh, she is running uh, also for the uh, school district board yep. for, that, for that seat that's opening up.
0: Uh, uh, for five, for district five.
1: District five, yeah. yeah. So that that's a... Uh, There's yet another um, person who is supportive of the union who will be running for that seat, and that is potentially a huge deal because that is the the odd seat out on a split board that mm-hmm. is currently 50 50 when it comes to charter school supporters versus union supporters.
0: And Ref Rodriguez was big into charter schools, yeah. took a lot of money from them, uh, could not figure out that you don't drink and then get behind the wheel. Apparently, a lot of our <laughs> elected still have a, an issue with understanding yeah, that one.
1: Uh-huh. And he also uh, had a nasty habit of trying to make himself appear to be more of a grassroots candidate than he actually was and funneled money through Uh, basically uh, straw man Mm -hmm. uh, donors, and yeah, that's illegal, so he got caught for that, too.
0: So, for those of you wondering, uh, Monday morning, 7 a.m., pick a school that's near you, show up, do some support. Uh, Wear some red. Yeah, uh, Tacos for Teachers is definitely happening. They've raised, like, more than $5,000 to feed tacos to teachers. If you want (laughs) to buy some coffee, if you just want to come hold a sign, there's going to be plenty of capacity that you can fill. They're going to need the support. I think that it's not gonna be as super long a strike as some of the other ones we've seen just because it's going to paralyze the city. Yeah, you will. know, there's nearly a half million students here that suddenly don't have school to go to.
1: Yeah, this is going to be it's, big.
0: Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting. So I hope I see you all out there on the picket line. Uh, you'll see me. Yeah, very cool. So come, let's come to
1: K Town. It'll be fun.
0: <laughs> I'm going to be out in Venice again. That one's close to me. Hey, solidarity. Yeah, and unfortunately Hamilton is all charters, so I know, like, that's <laughs> the closest high school to me. But they're not going to be on the picket lines. Yeah. Uh, but I think they will soon. Like, if the strike goes on oh. a little bit longer, I think some of the teachers in the charter schools uh, are not going to be able to maintain. Their hey, don't don't like, uh, don't strike. Please cross picket lines. People only have so much, um, you know, sympathy for that, and eventually the empathy for their their fellow educators and students is going to win them over. So I think we might see some wildcat strike action here.
1: This could be fun.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's move into what is becoming a really dark and twisted story. Yeah. Uh, The story of Ed Buck, the Democratic donor and fundraiser, and Is uh, is he a mega donor? I I don't think he's that. I don't think you qualify as that. He does like have a lot of connections. He did run for uh, West Hollywood City Council at some point. Yeah. He tried to have a political career. It didn't go anywhere. I mean, it's any been guy of that's a backroom a, dealer.
1: Yeah, but any guy that's a donor who's got like very little hair and always wears bow ties to me just strikes me as being a mega donor. So
0: eh. hey, dress for the job you want.
1: <laughs> fair enough. So prominent Democratic donor and West Hollywood Politico Ed Buck has found himself under scrutiny again after another black man died at his residence under suspicious circumstances. On Monday, January 7th, deputies were called to Buck's Laurel Avenue apartment to respond to the apparent overdose death of 55-year-old Timothy Dean. So far, the LA County District Attorney's Office has not indicated that they are treating Dean's death as a homicide, but they have said that they will be reopening their investigation into a previous death at Buck's residence. In 2017, Jamel Moore, 26, died at Buck's residence from a methamphetamine overdose. Moore had been flown to LA from Texas only seven hours before his death.
0: Yeah, I I had the privilege when I was at the Black Lives Matter rally this last Wednesday to hear uh, Jamel Moore's brother speak, and it was very arresting to hear the family talking about how this has affected them and also how they feel like Jamel Moore has been treated very unfairly in the press and that they want to see his full life story told and not that he's just some gay homeless escort. And they really want to push back on that narrative. Um, And it's really important that people are paying attention to this now. Um, It's sad that it took two deaths to get national attention to this, Um, you know, for Ed Buck to get the attention of national politicians, all he had to do was make sure they were getting checks. Yeah.
1: So while it has received very little attention from the mainstream media outlets at the time, uh, community journalist Jasmine Kanick, uh who happens to be on a, an, an ADM slate with me later yeah. in, uh, this week, uh, wrote extensively on Buck's reputation in the queer community. The drugs, the paraphernalia uh, that were all found near Moore's body, and Moore's journals, which detailed his introduction to drug use by Buck and his eventual addiction when the pain is it, and the pains that it caused him during that process
0: this is perhaps one of the most disturbing things about uh, Jamel Moore's death is he details in his journals how he was not injecting the drugs himself yeah. Buck was injecting the drugs and Buck in fact liked injecting drugs into other people and methamphetamine injections are that's serious stuff it's like, apparently an
1: extremely painful process too
0: it's meth it's not good stuff it it's painful any way you're taking it but especially when you're delivering that directly into someone's veins um and it's a different kind of high than than i think a lot of people who are used to using you know very casual drugs Um, And especially with methamphetamines, you develop addiction and dependency much more quickly because it hits the dopamine centers of your brain so hard that it burns them out almost immediately. You, You basically go from pleasurable drug use to dependent, addictive drug use in almost no time. And it's something that, like, is really weird and disturbing about this case, especially when you learn that, you know, they found three bags of methamphetamine in Ed Buck's house when Jamel Moore died. And then the sheriffs gave the drugs back to Buck. Nowhere else in this country, in this world, would that happen, yes. That's insane. They They let him keep the drug paraphernalia and drugs they found in his house, because he's a rich white guy, I don't know. The, the choice is yours to make, uh, dear listener. Oh, God. All
1: right. Well, in yet another underreported story from around two weeks ago, there was another young black man who was found dead in a car on Buck Street from a suspected methamphetamine overdose. While there have been no firm connections to Buck, many community activists are demanding more scrutiny in light of Moore's and Dean's deaths. Ed Buck was a former West Hollywood City Council candidate and has raised money for prominent Democrats in local, state, and national campaigns. While Buck's connections to Hillary Clinton's campaign have been discussed in the media, he has also raised and donated money to many prominent California Democrats. And so far, local politicians have been mum on how closely they have known Buck. Other local politicians like California Congressman Ted Lieu have promised to return the donations. For Lieu, this totals around $18,000 over several campaigns.
0: Some community activists are asking that for politicians that are returning this money, that they actually give that money to uh, funds to support Jamel Moore and Timothy Mm -hmm. Dean's family. Um, There hasn't been a lot of traction on that, but this is probably one of them like publicly name and shame people to get them to do the right thing, because just giving money back to uh, Ed Buck or to the people who donated through Buck doesn't really solve or fix anything.
1: Yeah, from what I had heard, Ted Lieu was actually going to be donating it to a charity of some sort, so Mm -hmm. it might end up being the same charity. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Buck's attorney, Seymour Amster, has said that Buck was not responsible in any way for Dean's death, and that Dean had ingested drugs at another location before coming over to Buck's house. Protests are expected to continue, as well as calls for Jackie Lacey to prosecute Buck for his potential role in one or both of these deaths.
0: Yeah, this is a really dark chapter. Uh, we don't have too much more to add after this, but things are going to be developing. Uh, international News is paying attention to this. I don't know that Ed Buck will ever see the inside of a jail cell or the inside of a courtroom, um, but hopefully at least his political career is over. Like, Hopefully this is enough of a black mark that people will not see his money as just green. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, this is a uh, uh, we're going to move on to a subject that is near and dear to your heart. Yes, it is. Uh, we got some 8M elections. Uh, let's talk about those.
1: Yeah, we've got 8M elections that are going to be he- being held over the two weekends coming up in January uh, across the state of California, starting this weekend with roughly a quarter of the elections occurring on Saturday the 12th, and then another quarter of them occurring on Sunday the 13th. The other half of the elections are going to be occurring over the week of the tw- weekend of the 26th and 27th. Mm-hmm. Uh, so registered Democrats uh, may vote for up to 14 delegates in their assembly district. Uh, it's You've only got a two-hour voting window at whatever the polling place is. Uh, and if you're not sure what district you live in and... Uh,
0: wait, wait, wait. Two hours, like, total? Yeah. Wow. Well, so, so I mean, it kind of makes sense it's a small, like, wonky election, but still, that seems like a very small window of time. I mean, it,
1: all right, so a little bit of background on this is that traditionally, uh, before Trump... Uh, ADEM elections effectively consisted of like 30 or 40 people showing up Mm -hmm. and then electing half of themselves to go off and serve as delegates to the California Democratic Party and those are the people who so when when I say delegates to the California Democratic Party there are Uh, around, it's a little over 3,000 delegates total. Uh, One third of them are elected at these, uh, through these Assembly District Delegate ADD, because they love to use acronyms for everything, uh, through these elections. And then another third of them are appointed, and then another third of them uh, are are chosen through another mechanism that I don't really want to bother getting into at this point. Um, But this one third that is elected, uh, that is where you, the local California residents who are members of the Democratic Party, and you actually can become a member of the Democratic Party the day of the election. And that's totally fine. Uh, you can have your voice heard when it comes to electing people to make the decisions on who the endorsed candidates are going to be, what the party platforms are going to be, uh, how the party really runs itself. And this is really important, especially when you look at like uh, Mr. Bauman and how he had been running the Democratic Party. He was in that position because he won the election. Uh in the, amongst the California Democratic uh, delegates, to to take that position as chairman of the of the the California Democratic Party, uh, I think he only won by like sixty votes or something like that out of the thirty three hundred. Yeah. So it's it's uh, these are important roles and it really can shift. How the party is moving forward, which candidates get nominations—it's it, or uh, the the endorsements rather, not mm-hmm. the nominations. Um, so it, it's a big deal. And uh, if you're interested in finding out which district you live in, where these elections are taking place, and when, uh, go to adems.vote. Again, a d e m s dot vote. Just put that into your uh, web browser, and it will take you to a page. It will ask you for your address and your city and then it will tell you what district you're in as well as giving you a helpful guide of who your progressive democratic party candidates are so go ahead and check that out. Uh, Look at the slate that's being uh, promoted there, and then look online to see other slates in your district if you're curious. Uh, There are a number of different people floating slates in all these sorts of (laughs) districts across the state. Uh, It's pretty interesting, and there's a lot of stuff going on in the background, but if you go to uh, uh, adems.vote, you can really get a good idea of just who are some solid, vetted progressives to vote for. Well,
0: and this is also one of the things I think that the people in power who have always said, you know, hey, we want more people voting, we want more people engaged, didn't realize that people would actually heed that call uh, the 2016 election activated people. And now that that wave is being unleashed, a lot of the people who felt comfortable in the party apparatus mm-hmm. are finding out that, like, they were only comfortable there because not many people were paying attention, not yeah. many people were engaged. This is going to upset a lot of things. And I'm super excited for the 2020 election cycle. Like, it's going to be hell. Like, It's going to be crazy. It's just going to be absolutely wild, as Ace says. Uh, and I am so here for that.
1: <laughs> and uh, it's also worth pointing out the the w- the election window is two hours. But if you're in line, before the election window closes you will get to vote okay so cool. it, it this this happened two years ago they went from having 30 or 40 people show up at all of these various adem caucuses and whatever to having hundreds of people there were I think 400 people who cast their votes in my adem election Wow, wow. In, in January of 2017 which was actually the first uh, local like party politics process that I personally was ever involved in and it's uh, back, actually how I found out about Ground Game was through my contacts that I made there. So, hey, uh, you never know. You yeah. should show up and see who's there. You might make some friends. You yeah, might find exactly. uh, new ways to get involved. So check it out. Uh, adems.vote. Uh, find out where to go, when to go, and get an idea of who you should vote for.
0: And also, since you already probably know about LA, we've yeah. got some coverage going on over there. We have a really good write-up on why the ADM elections From matter. From Yeah, she's been doing some great writing That's for awesome. us. awesome. Yeah. And... Uh, so yeah, head over there and check that one out. Uh, the Adam Slates, like the the fallout from this one's gonna be gonna be good. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, so the the Bernie crowd t- almost took over the uh, California Democratic Party two years ago, and uh, they're looking to make even more inroads into it this year. It should be really interesting.
0: Very cool. So let's move over to my neck of the woods because I hey. live over on the west side of LA, and I'm getting a new neighbor. Yes, let's you Let's talk are. about my new. Um, not being evil, hopeful, <laughs> neighbor? I don't know, I'm scared. Yeah,
1: yeah, so after months of speculation, the new tenant of the former West Side Pavilion has been revealed. Google will be moving into the former mall on Pico Boulevard. Hudson Pacific acquired the faltering mall last year for $141 million with plans to lease it out as office space aimed at media and tech companies. Uh, and they were successful. Yes. Uh, (laughs) There has been speculation as to who the new tenants would be uh, for quite some time, with no one really uh, being forthcoming about future plans for the site. Uh, But it was revealed that Google will be leasing more than 500,000 square feet of space for staff, which would take up the vast majority of the available office space. The renovation has been estimated to cost more than $350 million and will bring another Google property online within the next two years. This west side neighborhood has gone through rapid redevelopment in over the last several years as the influence of the Expo line has made it more attractive to businesses and it has driven up demand for housing in the area.
0: Yeah, I gotta say, like I was I was doing some back and forth with Scott Frazier on Twitter today because he oh, you know, yeah. they talked about it on LA Pod. And uh one thing I've noticed is my neighborhood has gone from like VM VMWs, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> from from VWs and Hondas to like BMWs and Mercedes. And like yep. I've only been there four years, but the last year um, you can definitely tell that the price of the average unit around me is going up. Uh, West Side Pavilion's maybe a 20-minute walk for me. And it's, it's situated in Rancho Park, which is a little bit of a weird neighborhood to have next to transit.
1: While SB50, Scott Wiener's second attempt at building more transit-accessible housing, works its way through the legislature in Sacramento, many residents will be living with the debate over exclusionary zoning. Uh, The Rancho Park neighborhood is exclusively single-family homes, many of which have been fetching more than $1 million in sales over the last uh, few months. Older homes have been quickly snapped up by developers and either refurbished or demolished completely to make room for even larger homes. So far, this is the furthest east that Google has pushed, following the purchase and renovation of the Gold's Gym building in Venice and a former aircraft hangar at the Santa Monica Airport. This is an especially tense development as Westside Pavilion sits right on the edge of Palms, with uh, which is the largest concentration of rent-stabilized housing in the city of Los Angeles, and which has seen a drastic influx of wealthy commuters drawn to a neighborhood rich in transit along the increasingly popular Expo Line.
0: Yeah, this is one of those development stories that is kind of like good in some ways, because we do need denser like office buildings and more easily commutable office spaces at the same time like there's a lot of pain that's coming to people who've lived in palms which has always been a family-friendly neighborhood a small business-friendly neighborhood that's going to change fast like already my, my dining options have gone from you know like spending seven or ten bucks on a plate to like i'm not dropping less than twenty dollars if i if i try and eat in my neighborhood which is fine it's all great food but that means instead of eating out like two or three nights a week i'm eating out maybe once a night You know, and instead of having like two drinks at the bar, I'll have one drink at El Nopal. Um, And it's you definitely begin to notice it when you're not making like Google bucks. All right. So for the last story of this week, uh, let's talk about grassroots campaign funding because the city of L.A. has changed the way that they're calculating matching funds. And this could either be really good or really bad. It's it's uh, It's, kind of a a double edged sword. Very
1: much a mixed bag. Mm So Los Angeles has revamped its program for providing public funding for grassroots campaigns after facing mounting criticism that the original scheme scheme privileged candidates that were already wealthy and had connections to deep pocketed donors. The original scheme allowed small candidates to uh, receive funds from the city at either one, two or four dollars per dollar raised that qualified to be matched. Uh, the level of matching funds was determined by how many signatures a candidate gathered to get on the ballot, and whether they were raising money from a uh, for a primary or a general election. The matching funds were only unlocked once a candidate had raised $25,000.
0: So you can already see how like a more well uh, established and wealthier campaign could afford to get the the bigger levels of funding unlocked because they could get more signatures, they could afford to pay campaign staff to get out there and knock on doors. Yeah. Smaller campaigns like the, the Justice, Jessica Salins campaign, we never got to the level where we were able to unlock those matching funds, and we knocked a lot of doors, and we yeah. brought in a decent number of donations, but that $25,000 uh, threshold is Pretty brutal.
1: Critics of the systems argued that it disadvantaged smaller campaigns, which could not reach as many voters, and set a minimum that was far too high for most of these new candidates. The new scheme raises the matching funds to $6 for every $1 raised from city residents, but changes the way qualifying funds are calculated. Previously, only $250 of any contribution could be counted towards that $25,000 minimum. Uh, even if the actual contribution was much higher.
0: But again, this still privileges the really rich donors, because when you're running a small campaign, you know, you're only getting like maybe a hundred bucks. So you can only count a hundred dollars towards it. Where if you're a big campaign and you're pulling in 500, even if you can only count 250, you're still able to max out the amount of money that's co- counting towards that 25,000 each Absolutely. contribution. So if you can hit wealthier people, you, you rack up that 25K a lot more quickly.
1: So, now only $115 in in the new scheme. Uh, only $115 of any donation can be counted towards the $25,000 minimum, a change meant to discourage larger campaigns from being able to bring in lots of high-money donations and encouraging campaigns to cast a wider net for smaller donations. Uh, the minimum has been now lowered to $20,000. Yeah, um, But counsel- some
0: people actually want to take it lower. Uh,
1: I, I understand that they, they, they do, and uh, I agree. Uh, Councilman Mike Bonham has floated the idea of lowering the limit all the way down to eleven thousand five hundred for city council candidates, a number that is more in line with similar schemes in other states like New York. But this proposal did not find much purchase among the other council members. Shock. Surprise. Horror. Oh, my God.
0: I can't believe the 15 little mayors wouldn't make it harder for them to keep their jobs.
1: Uh, So, to put this into perspective, the same day as these changes were made, the council set the date for the District 12 special election, and that primary is happening in June with a runoff in August at an estimated cost of $2.4 million. Council President Herb Wesson has said that the minimum could be lowered depending on the city and on uh, the f- findings of the City Ethics Commission.
0: Yeah, this is still a little bit up in the air, but I think it's pretty settled. I don't think they'll come back to this until after 2020 and there's been a reshuffle at City Council, uh, hopefully, which we'll see some progressives. Hopefully we get a, a shot at that for CD12 and begin to pull the whole council to the left.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and if it's, you know, after 2020, then Herb Wesson doesn't have to deal with it anymore. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, (laughs) you know, I do have to give a shout out to Herb Wesson, who delivered a savage burn on our mayor uh, by basically saying if Eric Garcetti was to just drop out of L.A. for 30 days, it would not change anything about how the city's run. Uh, And I think he was trying to make the point that, like, Garcetti can be mayor and also run for president and do the campaign trail thing. But But it really reads more like Eric Garcetti, not necessary to running LA, so maybe we don't need him to be our mayor. Yeah. Well, I mean, Eh. to, to,
1: to be completely fair, the mayor's role in the city governance is significantly less Powerful than probably most people yeah. in the city think it is. Like our city council holds a ton of power. Yeah, like you said, they are the fifteen little mayors. They run the show, and the city, the mayor's office, really is more about like public relations and, and statements. And they do have a lot of authority relating to commissions and relating to like the LAPD. But outside of that, in terms of like actually pushing for legislation and for changes, like that really comes down to City Hall being yeah. pushed through city council.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's gonna be interesting. Um I'm I'm excited. I also hope to see some like small candidates be able to uh, pull in some more matching funds and for the city to actually support smaller and grassroots campaigns. Uh speaking of stuff coming up in the next couple of weekends that we should chat about real quick. For sure. On the nineteenth, there's going to be a yellow vest protest going off at the women's march. Yes, uh there so will. if you want to throw on a yellow vest and advocate for all of the cool radical stuff that the women's march doesn't seem to care about Uh, we're definitely going to be out there Uh, also following that up the week afterwards extinction rebellion la is going to be making their debut uh it's going to be an interesting one Uh, (laughs) extinction rebellion they shut down basically all of central london with a die-in a couple of months ago and they're looking to go global with this uh very much riding on the back of the green new deal and alexander ocasio cortez uh pushing that and we're hoping to get like way more climate action because like I don't want to die in 12 years. Yeah, we
1: are literally running out of time to deal with this crisis, and our leaders need to step up and do something about yeah.
0: it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can build all the bunkers you want. That still ain't going to protect you.
1: No, and when the global food supply starts to dwindle because nobody can grow their crops because of changing weather patterns and more droughts and more fires and everything else, like, it's going to be real bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, for my part, and I feel like I'm doing my part well in this because they, they've been telling me that the coffee plants, the coffee band, yeah. will be dead between 2035 and 2050. So I drink as much coffee as I possibly can <laughs> on a daily basis. Uh, what are you doing to save the planet?
1: I, I'm actually following a very similar pattern myself yeah. um, and also trying to avoid straws because that's what's important in life.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right well this has been a this is gonna be a weird this is gonna be a weird year Chris I'm, I'm already gonna call it now um, uh, 2019 but I'm excited.
1: one yeah. for the books
0: yeah anyways and thank you all for joining us uh this has been our first news wrap up uh you can catch us back here every week on patreon you can catch me on the regular podcast uh starting tomorrow uh and uh, yeah tune into soundcloud.com backslash ground game la and uh yeah anything to wrap up Chris
1: no just other than than pointing out that it's our first news wrap-up of 2019 not our first one total we've done this a few times I know a few it's a few times. Time keeps on ticking. <laughs> and thank you all for joining us. Thank you.